is the Seahawkers podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and I am joined by my good buddy, Adam Emmert. As Adam, the Seahawks have hired a new head coach, the Ravens' former defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald, coming to the Seahawks, officially announced just less than about 20 minutes ago. We, we got the official announcement. Gosh, we found out earlier this afternoon. But uh, it took up the Seahawks press staff, you know, a full five hours to write up a press release. You never know. Maybe they were hammering out a few of the contract details. One of the reasons we wanted to wait, let's make sure it's official just in case, you know, something happens, maybe last minute. But it's official, man. It is Mikey Mac time. I'm fired up, dude. This is going to be awesome. I think this is a great hire about as good as you can do in terms of, you know, do your due diligence. You get the guys that have the best qualifications. And then from there, it's always a roll of a dice. And I, I like it. This is about as well as you could have done, I think. Well, and we talked about it even leading up to this hire because you you have this opportunity to go through all the candidates that you hear about all the interviews and you hear the pros and cons of each. You go through them and then you get the news uh, earlier this week that Sounds like Ben Johnson is out. He's going to stay in Detroit. And then it's like, okay, well, there's one guy off the board. And it, it, it did feel like there were two candidates that Seahawks fans were kind of migrating toward. And I know we all kind of had our other favorites, too, whether it was uh, Mike Kafka, you know, Ijero Averro, some of the other one, Dan Quinn. You know, we talked about him a lot. And so once Ben Johnson fell out, I, I think one of the reasons why so many of us, too, were gravitating toward Mike McDonald was that his history, uh, not just against Patrick Mahomes in the AFC Championship. Yeah, they give up some points early, but they shut him down after halftime. And then uh, you, you pile that on top of his record against the NFC West. Yeah, a lot of things in his credentials that work in his favor, but also just success everywhere he kind of went as a defensive coordinator, you know, success at Michigan, success the last two years here with the Ravens. And then also, like you mentioned, watching him in the playoffs, man, that was an impressive unit in top three in scoring the two years that he had been defensive coordinator. And that's about all you can ask for when you're talking about trying to get one of the top defensive minds out there. And I think that's going to bode really well for the Seahawks going forward. I know a lot of folks had their hearts set on an offensive guy, and I, I get the reasons, and it was a legitimate you know, thought process and feeling, and I get it, and they may be feeling a little disappointed in the moment, but at least they went with a young guy that has new and inventive ideas right now, and I like the idea of actually going out and stopping the McShanahan's from scoring all those points and then offensively, you don't have to do a whole heck of a lot, really. You can just kind of stay on the trajectory that you're on and be ultra competitive. In I, I love it, man. I, I think the best way to beat the McShanahan's is to put the clamps on them, not necessarily just turn it into a shootout. And so I think this could be just a match made in heaven for the Seahawks. After the season the Seahawks had, it did make it easier to lean toward a defensive-minded coach, especially when you talk about all of those credentials that that go along with it, because yes, we did have a defensive minded head coach, you know, for the last uh, 14 years. So it, uh, it, it doesn't feel like that much of a shift, but at the same time, it, it feels like there has been a shift within the division that Pete Carroll wasn't able to, to find either a defensive coordinator or 
it worked through it himself to where he could catch up with, like you said, the Kyle Shanahan's, the Sean McVay's, and you went down the some of those defensive rankings. I mean, in twenty twenty three. Points per game, defense first. I like that. I liked having that when Pete Carroll had the Legion of Boom and, and had one of the top defenses. Opponents yards per game, fifth, so top five. Opponents points per play, that's one of those EPA stats. Uh, yards per play, second. Uh, opponent third down conversion percentage, ninth, so still top 10 there. Opponent red zone scoring, second. That's really appealing. And opponent touchdowns per game, first. So a lot of nice statistics. And from a Ravens defensive unit that you go through it and you think, okay, well, at what positions were they superiorly more talented in terms of the individual players mm-hmm. than the Seahawks? And you can you line up. Well, I mean, Kyle Hamilton to me was one of their top defenders. Uh, you know, he, he played lights out this year and there's an obvious correlation there then to the Seahawks having a, a nickel defender and Devin Witherspoon, who's really talented. I, I, in terms of the safeties, like they have young guys, but they were undrafted seventh round guys who they had playing at a really high level. In terms of talent, their corners probably the highest in terms of their draft position. Linebackers too, with Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen. And th- then I get to the defensive line, and it's kind of a patchwork of dudes like with free agents and veteran guys. And they made it work. And and that reminded me so much of what the Seahawks have that I'm thinking, okay, if you just get the right coaching with these guys, then I think change can happen. Yeah. You think of the delta between the talent on both sides or both teams there defensively. And just like you pointed out, I don't think it's massive. I don't think you're looking at a team that has, you know, just a ton of holes, like say the Cardinals when Jonathan Gannon came in. This it's much closer to the talent that the Ravens have. You got to think that with Coach McDonald there and whoever he brings in as a coordinator, that they can make the jump from one of the trashiest defenses in the league as they were last year to shoot bordering top 10. Like I would be stoked for that. I think that would make a huge difference. That's a two win difference right there. If they can continue the success that they've had on the offensive side of the ball, um, you know, and some people would say that's limited success. I, I, I think it's been fine, you know, slightly above average. I think that with all that, you could be right in the mix at 11 wins and knocking on the door of, you know, a divisional playoff game and those sort of things in, I think that's super exciting. The one thing, all the X's and O's check out, Brandon, all the right. stats check out, uh, the film, it checks out. What we don't know is just him as a dude and a leader of men in terms of an entire football organization. And there's no way to know it until you just throw him in there and do it. I wish we could be in there in the interviews, man. I, I know there's no way that that's possible, but a um, couple things that I'd heard on Brock and Salk from a couple different reporters. Uh, I think one was just Ross Tucker. And then uh, one of the Ravens beat reporters talking about his demeanor in that He's not necessarily the rah-rah, get in front of a group of guys and deliver an Al Pacino speech uh, to get everybody pumped up. That's not his thing. It doesn't mean that that can't be successful. I mean, I think of, say, I don't know, Tony Dungy, one of the more successful coaches we've seen since 
Yeah, since we've been around. Uh, there's a lot of dudes. Uh, Matt LaFleur is apparently one of those dudes who's not necessarily uh, stand in front of the room and really be inspiring guys. So it's going to be interesting to see how that works. Uh, but a lot of interesting factors, including what's going to happen with coordinators here, man. Right. Gorner Slick posting here in the chat. I'm excited to see who the coordinators will be. And of course, there's going to be some speculation until it's announced. One of the things that is really obvious to look at is some of those Ravens positional coaches that could come with them because they could be promoted then coming to Seattle from Baltimore. Also want to say thanks to the snail coming in a member hey, for 16 months here on YouTube. You can click the join button and become a member here on YouTube. Best option, not named Jim Harbaugh W for sure. I, I love the snail, man. You know, I do, but uh, it, it's the best option, including uh, people named Jim Harbaugh for sure. A couple of those coordinator names thrown around were quarterbacks coach T Martin. And if you've uh, watched college for Martin. a long time, or just, it's been a long time since you've watched college. He was a quarterback who played for Tennessee. Gosh, probably 20 or so years ago. And uh, is now a quarterback's coach. He's uh, with the Ravens now. It ought to be a potential option as coordinator. Zachary Orr, another name on the defensive side, who's the inside linebackers coach. And that's kind of what I'm, especially on defense, if you can bring some of that, you know, so it's not just Mike McDonald, but also other position coaches from there that can bring some of that culture, some of that. Uh, whatever intensity that they had, that same mindset. And so he can do head coaching things, but also have that influence then that carries over from what helped make the Ravens as good as they were this year. Yeah, he's going to need all the help that he can get because, again, you're kind of setting your own tone and your own culture and all that. And we'll see how much of a departure that is from Pete as well. That's going to be an interesting dynamic. But in terms of the coordinators, I don't know that we have to look Specifically, just at the Raider or the Ravens assistance and that sort of thing. Yeah. Basically, not only do you look there, you can look back at Michigan. You can also look back at all the people that the Harbaugh's know. And the, all those people are going to be in play as well. I guarantee you, John's on the phone being like, hey, man, I know you haven't worked with uh, Mikey here, but he's the best. And uh, he'd love to have you come in and coach up, you know, whatever position group, whatever it is. The only problem with that is, is that. Uh, Jim's going to be doing the same thing at the same time as he builds out his staff. So you got a little competition there, which I find interesting. That's that's also another dynamic that that plays into that too. There's the the other former Ravens offensive coordinator, Greg Roman, who hasn't okay. had a job since he left, and you know it's not an, a super exciting name, but is a guy who's a veteran and he, he gosh, we played against Greg Roman led offenses when he was leading that Kaepernick offense. And uh, the cool thing about him is that he also worked with Ijero Averro in uh, San Fran. So there, there's some ties there to where you think, man, here's a guy who interviewed as a possible head coach. Could he be out in Carolina and, uh, and then maybe defensive coordinator too. So you, you kind of get, maybe one of the potential head coaches that you're also looking at for sure. I mean, it's possible. I, I do like the idea of pairing up uh, McDonald here with a more experienced guy to lead the offense specifically. Um, Greg Roman, you're right. It's maybe not the most exciting name, but he knows how to run the rock. He knows how to do that. And I, I do appreciate and like that. 
Um, I didn't realize that Andy Dickerson had had a couple OC uh, interviews. Good for him. I, I, I wouldn't mind. He seemed to do a, a pretty good job with the offense, considering the number of injuries that the team had and uh, able to keep that group going. But uh, we also have Christopher Stubstad coming in with a 199 Super Chat. Young McDonald is a Seahawk, E-I-E-I-O. Yeah, man. Going from the oldest coach to the youngest coach in the league at 36. That is eight years younger than us, Brandon. That that guy, that guy, when we were seniors in high school, was in fourth grade, dude. Like, Just let that wash over you for a second. We We got old. In fourth grade and already training as a covert CIA agent, if just if I'm judging superficially by looks. Oh, for sure. The snail coming in with a $5 super chat. Frank Reich for OC. Good OC has head coaching experience. If McDonald has questions. The the thing I like about this, this was another one too, uh, the snail that I was considering myself, because when you look through some of those offensive coordinator names, you kind of want someone who, like you said, has head coaching experience, but then you want someone who's not going to get poached by other teams. And if you have a head coach who's failed a couple times, then it's it's more likely that other teams are going to stay away if you have success at the offensive coordinator spot. It's just what happens in the NFL. Sure. I think with a defensive-minded coach being hired, again, we go back to that point, the OCs get poached and all of that, and it's a good point. It's just something you're going to live with. So I wouldn't worry about it. I would just hire the best dude for the gig and wish for the most amount of success that he can have. Cause if he does have all that success and move on to another job, that means that it's going to be an appealing spot for the next guy to come in and pick up where they left off and hopefully advance their career. So I think that's uh, an important thing. And I don't think it's something that you really need to worry about at the end of the day. Like you can't, you can't concern yourself with it. I, I it's, it's something to consider though. It's, it's something that for we sure. talked about. One of the reasons why, you might lean toward uh, a young offensive minded coach. It's just that once you started leaning toward the ones that were available, the list of names got kind of short. Once Ben Johnson was off the board, Jess M says also excited to see if he brings any Ravens free agents. For sure. I, I don't know who all is up for free agency for the Ravens this year at, at this point off the top of my head, but you did kind of mention Ben Johnson either dropping out or being knocked out of consideration. You saw some reports that maybe he was asking for some big money. Maybe it was some power things behind the scenes too. Like he wanted certain control over certain areas. Who knows? I, it's hard to say hard telling, not knowing, right? We weren't there. But with all that said, I think one of the reasons why Mike McDonald did get hired is you look at the Ravens organization and the coaches and player personnel department, the GM and all the scouts and everything, they've worked pretty well hand in glove over the years. Like that has been a very successful marriage between the coaching staff and the personnel department. And I know that that's been important to John. Obviously he talks so much about what a great marriage it was with Pete Carroll. And I think he needed to feel that with whoever the new coach is and having those sort of credentials. I think that was also a, a huge uh, boon right there. Um, Eric B enemy. Um, no, no, absolutely. No, he doesn't run the football, uh, right there. And two, he sounds like he's a bona fide a-hole to most people. <laughs> and yeah, you know, maybe we need a little of that. I don't know. Would not be my first choice or even my 10th. You know, a name I was thinking about today, one that hasn't been in coaching for a while. And I think it was because I saw T Martin's name that that kind of brought it back to my memory, Byron Leftwich. 
has been out of football this year. And he was a guy who was in line for potential head coaching job in Arizona. And uh, he kind of talked his way out of that. So going back to Ben Johnson and having that opportunity potentially with two different teams and ending up with neither of them, it, it's one of those situations that I, I feel like Eric Bieniemy kind of found himself in because one, the Chiefs were having so much success that a lot of times it would get to that time of year, and with the Chiefs either in the championship game or the Super Bowl, not a lot of opportunity to interview. And now Ben Johnson, if his goal then is to go back to Detroit and try and win a Super Bowl, if they're back there and in that game next year, which they won't be because we'll be there. But uh, if if they happen to be, then uh, you know he's gonna he won't be able to get a job, and maybe that's great. Maybe he loves being in Detroit and working for Dan Campbell all these years, and that's that's fine with him. They'll find a way to give him extra money, and because shoot, we heard that uh, Bobby Slowick down in Houston got a pay bump, and he was a guy who interviewed at a couple different places too as an offensive coordinator. You bet. I imagine that Detroit opened up their checkbook a little bit. Also, too, I imagine that Dan Campbell pulled on some heartstrings there. Those guys have been around each other for a long time uh, in terms of their careers in the coaching arena. So, you know, some loyalties there. And also, too, he might not have been getting the dollar signs that he thought that he would get or uh, maybe some control behind the scenes. But, um, yeah, it... uh, Oh, I guess Patrick Queen. Yeah, he'd be a free agent because drafted the same year as uh, as Brooks. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll see. I don't know. Would you rather have Patrick Queen or Jordan Brooks? That's a good question. Or could you do both? Yeah, maybe. I guess if you don't bring Bobby back. See, with McDonald coming in, getting a lot out of Roquan Smith and probably the later stages of his career. I mean, wouldn't you think that maybe Bobby Wagner would be a good fit for him as well? It doesn't seem like it's that much of a shift to go from those guys. And obviously, uh, linebacker is a spot, too, that you could end up drafting early and and finding players like that or free agents who could come in and fill that. that. That's the thing that impressed me is how they were able to fill in with free agents like Jadavion Clowney. Does he come back to Seattle on a you know relatively cheap deal? I don't know. It uh if we get the same kind of play that he had in Baltimore when he comes back to Seattle, that'd be great. Obviously, they got more out of Clowney. We saw a couple of good games from Jadevian Clowney when he was here, but I think they got consistently more out of him in Baltimore. So th- that's kind of exciting. And then they brought in Kyle Van Noy, who is seemingly mm-hmm. available every year. So I, I, it kind of builds my confidence that he and John can work together to find those defensive free agents that can then work together. And yeah, Nathan Santo from the Seahawks nest podcast. They used scrappy yeah, guys up, like Clowney and Van Noy and got a huge play out of them. That's exactly what I was saying. Yeah, man. Uh, you guys are uh, copacetic and on the same page and hundred percent. Right. And one of the things that'll be interesting to see is how defensively they do building in the trenches here this next year considering it has been a struggle the last couple of years with Pete Carroll in charge. And then obviously Schneider is the GM. Now, if we go two, three, four down years down the line here with now McDonald and Schneider paired up, and it seems to be the same struggle that would lead me to believe that maybe this is a John Schneider issue more so than it was a Pete Carroll issue, but time will tell. It's going to be interesting to see. And it's one of the exciting parts about having a brand new young head coach. It's going to be exciting. Mike Morris played under Mike McDonald at Michigan as well. So, yeah, there's uh, Olu Olu Timmy on the offensive side. So at least some players who 
he'd be familiar with. And let's see, he goes back to, I'm not sure who may have had overlap with him at Georgia when he, because that's where he broke into his, uh, I, I think he was at Georgia then before he came up to Baltimore initially. And that was right around the 2010, 2011 timeframe, if I remember. So there might be some overlap too. And then you could look through some of those names and see there might be some other head coaching candidates or offensive coordinators who we should think about the Georgia offensive coordinator because Georgia runs a pro style offense and maybe he could bring that to the NFL too. It's, it's, you know, it's all possible. Sure. Uh, and it's a lot, again, a lot of hard telling not knowing. We're basically pissing in the wind when we're talking about OCs and DCs at this point. None of us really know. Uh, I really want to see the presser. I think that's going to help uh, shed some light on things. Um, I noticed that Nathan had another comment about Leo. And yeah, that had occurred to me as well, man. Does this, to you, Brandon, does this seem like an attractant for somebody like Leonard Williams to be like, hey, I'll stick around? Gosh, I would think that that would be a guy that you just you want talent to stick around. And yeah, John Schneider didn't trade for Leonard Williams just so he could come be a rental for them to miss the playoffs. I think there had to be some strategy there of let's trade for this guy. If he comes in, does well, which he did. Then we look at an extension. He's already in the building and you go out and you you try and make it happen. There's obviously got to be a conversation now about whether this make it more attractive to Leo, though. Like when he's looking around, I don't know how it would make it less attractive. So I don't know. I mean, other than maybe he enjoyed his time with Pete and he's like, ah, Pete's gone. That's a bummer. And wants to you know explore other things. I don't again, a lot of hard telling, not knowing. I I do hope that they bring him back because they need talent on the defensive line. I would speculate that they continue to run that three, four style that the Ravens ran then because they kind of shifted toward that way with their personnel. Mm-hmm. So maybe they keep that. Maybe they do. Uh, I would imagine it's going to be something similar to what you saw there. Now, another part, the, one of the few details that we've gotten from the hiring here so far, Brandon, six-year contract. What? How did that strike you? I guess it didn't bother me initially because I've seen so many other coaching hires that were five-year contracts. He's a young guy. Maybe there was competition then. Obviously, Washington still needs a head coach. It sounded like they were interested in him, too. And part of that deal could be, okay, normally head coaches get five, but we're going to give you six. How many of those six years are option years in case it doesn't work out? Because you're going to know after a couple of years whether he's your guy or not. Yeah, that was a part to me that was a little weird. Like, because you do see these contracts for coaches, you know, five you pointed out seems to be roughly the standard. Then you see up to 10 years with Gruden and like these, these huge long contracts. And I understand it spreads out the financial commitment over a longer period of time for the owners. And maybe that's the number one part of it, but also too, like, you know, after about two, three years, like, why are you even making the contracts longer than that? Like, let's go to two, three years. We'll see how it looks. And I would have said four, a four year contract because after three, you know, and then you could renegotiate and resign before you get into your lame duck year and all that good stuff. That that seemed more like the sweet spot there, but that's what they needed to do to sweeten the pot for an up and coming young, brilliant football coach. Then so be it. Yeah. Well, we just have to now commit ourselves to six years of a, a Mike McDonald coaching staff as as a podcast now. So, are you ready? Are you ready to sign up for six years? Look, man, you don't hire the guy to fail. 
Like you're, you're hoping he succeeds. You're hoping that six year deal is going to feel like a steal. The other part of the six year contract, Brandon, that was interesting to me is does this signal that Jody's going to be owning the team for at least six years? I don't know if you can look at head coaching contracts, player contracts, and really tie it to ownership necessarily. That seems more of a, a negotiation based on the current market with what they hear from other agents and what they deal with and that sort of thing. So I, I don't necessarily think that we can draw any conclusions to that. But uh, it's an interesting thing to think about. All right, 911, our live executive producer coming in with a 999 Super Chat. Go Hawks, Ryan. I know Ryan's fired up. I know we all are fired up. Man, we got a great text message from Clinton. Not even a text, but a little video audio message about just how over the moon he is about it. This was definitely his first choice. And look, I, I definitely think that going with a young guy and giving him his first opportunity has shown statistically over the last five, six, seven years to be the better option than going with a retread. And I think that that's going to hopefully prove itself out here when we see Mike McDonald going forward compared to whatever it is that happens with Dan Quinn now going forward. Okay. I want to talk about that for a minute because what makes us believe that a a first-time head coach has a better opportunity for success than a retread? Statistics. Go back and look at the last five, six, seven years, and you go down all the lists of the coaches that were hired and of the guys that you would say were a success, it's definitely a higher percentage of guys having their first shot as a head coach. Okay. I was looking at one statistical measure in particular, and that is winning a Super Bowl. And when I look at who won (laughs) the Super Bowl over just the last 12 years— there was one first-time head coach that defeated a quote-unquote retread head coach in the Super Bowl. All the, the only other times a first-time head coach won the Super Bowl was against another first-time head coach. Everybody else who won it were coaches who were on their second or third job. Okay. like The idea that, yes, the ultimate goal is to win the Super Bowl, I get that and all that. One team every year gets to be happy about that. Like, it's not very often that you're going to end up there two, three times. Like the point is, is you want to be at the very least like the Ravens and John Harbaugh, or even in, in a lot of ways, what Pete had done over the vast majority of his time here in Seattle, which is keep you hyper relevant in contention. And if everything breaks your way, you're ready to capitalize. And I think that the you know, statistics show that in the last five, six years, of those hires, who that does not include Andy Reid, Bill Belichick, and Pete Carroll. Which, and I understand, Nathan, those are the greatest of all times, and you're 100% right. I'm just saying in recent NFL history, that's what it has looked like, that the new guys have had more success. Well, and and Jackson Bevins, too, broke it down on Twitter. And that was what got me, got the wheels turning in my mind of exactly how to measure success, because... He pointed to just the number of teams in the playoffs and how a high percentage of those teams all had first time head coaches. And like I said, that's great. It's just when it it comes down to first timers versus first timers, those are the times where you see actual first time head coaches getting the win. And I think you had uh, so it was Doug Peterson over Bill Belichick was the, the the last time a first time head coach beat. Um, a veteran coach. And then 
gosh, you had to go back. I think it might have been. Well, I, I, I think I it might have like... been uh, Holmgren that losing in the Super Bowl to Cower. I, I feel like the first time head coach versus retread, like the the head coach, the first time head coach has to beat the retread. Like I find that to be a bit of a straw man. Like they just have they won Super Bowls. Like that that that's kind of the point. And again, I'm just looking at recent freaking history here. Like not back 15 years, talking about five six years. Yeah, yeah. And I I'll go grab my tablet right now and go through the names if you want, and it, it'll prove itself out. I don't doubt it. I I also think, and by that measure, it's fine. I'm just saying, if your if your goal is winning a Super Bowl, then it really, I think it's statistically more toward the veteran head coaches. Depending on what period of time you look at, for sure. All time. I think I think that we're (laughs) in a different era of football here. You see things switching. I don't think that it's a coincidence that Saban, Belichick, Pete all end up out this year. And it's something that has been building for the last few years. The new generation of player requires a different kind of voice because of everything that they grew up with in terms of interconnectivity and you know social media, all that nonsense, right? And it's changed the way that coaches have to interact with players. I'm not sure Parcells works in this era, right? Like you need a young dude and I think that is a reason why you see them go with somebody like Mike McDonald, a first time guy, and why you see in the last few years, a lot of the younger new hires have success as well. And I, I don't think you have to go with a, a super old guy, but Dan Quinn was obviously an option. Jim Harbaugh ends up going to the Chargers. We'll see how that works out in terms of coaches who had opportunities before. Raheem Morris, not an old guy, but has had multiple head coaching stops, at least as an interim head coach now going to the Falcons. So of, of all those guys, I kind of look at Raheem Morris and say, there's a guy who it seems to be beloved by players could end up having success. It's the Falcons, but uh, you know, it's uh, <laughs> they, they could have an opportunity in a relatively weak division. We've got AZ Hawker saying, love the hire. The Hawks D needed new life and leadership. Now let's see who the Hawks bring in to fill out the rest of the staff. Go Hawks. Can't wait for those hires. And maybe that will help inform this next question I'm about to ask you here, Brandon. Yeah. How do you feel like the hiring of Mike McDonald affects this upcoming draft? Like, does that, does that in comparison to say, let's say Ben Johnson had been hired? Like, does that, you think that that plays a factor there? Do you think that then you lean more toward picking defensive guys closer to the top than Mm -hmm. offensive guys? I, Maybe, or, or you're a defensive coach and you go, you know what, burn a couple picks, you know, a couple future first trade up and get one of these quarterbacks in this draft, because being a defensive guy, I can handle that. Get me an elite, elite quarterback. And now we're cooking. Like maybe that's the thought process. I don't know. It it really shouldn't have an impact. It, It still should be a collaborative process with the new head coach, with the general manager, to work out and find the best players at the best spot for the team. So I I hope it doesn't have an impact. I hope they stick to what they've been doing because I feel like the last couple drafts have been going pretty well. They, they've got a lot of good talent. They just need to find a good way to use it. And Aaron F coming in with the 199 super chat. I think we're going to see rookie year reek again. And you think of a couple players on the team, Adam, that you say, well, maybe they took a step back. Could a change at defense of uh, leadership 
end up being better for them as a whole? Could it move them more toward they more toward where they had potential? Reek Woolen, one of those guys that immediately comes to mind. And then even think of some of the veterans. And I know there's a question too uh, back in the chat about if uh, Draymond, Draymond Jones, if if he ends up staying or going, or is that a guy that they can then find uh, you know, a way to use his talent with it, not knowing who the coordinator could be with the Vero being out there? Could that that tandem help you know bring some of that out what he was able to get out of him in Denver. You really want a Vero to be the DC, don't you? <laughs> Is that your dream right there? And I wouldn't hate it by for a second. I think it'd be a fantastic choice if you can get it. No doubt about it. But that does seem to be your your uh default. I'm there. finding I'm trying to find links and ways to get him on the team. It's you know now Absolutely. that we have the head coach in place, now we have to fill out and yes, that's just where where my mind's going. Yeah, but the, to the idea of getting some of the younger players to play up to par, say like Reek having a bounce back year and all of that stuff, I think the key to that is going to be discipline. And I would hope that somebody like Mike McDonald, who comes from the Harbaugh's, has a degree of that discipline that he can implement. Because if you listen to KJ talk about and G. Scott talk about the defense specifically throughout the season, and their complaints of the immaturity and other things creeping in that maybe took their focus off of football. We need to address that. And maybe Mike McDonald is exactly that dude. Clearly there had come a point to where old man Pete was somebody that they were more or less tuning out And to KJ's point talking about all this. He didn't really ever handle that. That wasn't ever Pete's deal. He wanted to have a couple strong leaders in the locker room that kind of handled and policed that for him. I think McDonald's going to have to take that by the reins a little bit. It's definitely a concern. And and one of the things I'm looking to watch and I I know uh, Gornish slick said, I'm so pumped by how excited you guys are. I I'm excited because it's new, but it doesn't mean I don't have concerns, right? Because Mm -hmm bringing up the idea of discipline, it ends up being one of those questions because it's an unknown. There's a lot of unknowns that come along with having a young rookie head coach. And because you don't have that experience to look at and draw off of because it's just, it's not there. And yeah, you can go through press conferences and, and see how they deal with the media, but you don't know dynamics inside the locker room. We do have, from the, the Seahawks press release that uh, John Boyle put out a lot of quotes from whether it was Patrick Queen talking about saying how he's the best head coaching candidate out there. Uh, but you also have to expect that former players and yeah. well, guys that played with him, like Kyle Van Noy, who also gave glowing reviews, you tend to be happy for a guy and talk him up when he has those opportunities. For sure. You have your dudes back and I'm sure, you know, McDonald and pretty much every coach has their players back when they have an opportunity to, to back them uh, as well. Um, and yeah, we talked a little about that, Nathan, like maybe he can pluck some guys out of the John and Jim tree, but like you said, you know, Jim's filling out his staff as well. So that will be interesting. I saw this other comment here from Charlie. Um, and I think this is super important. Look, I, I wanted Pete another year. Uh, and obviously with some of these new reports, maybe Pete didn't initially want to come back and then maybe change his mind or who knows how true all that is. But 
I want to pee back for one more year. And there is a standard that had been set under Pete Carroll. And I think that there's a decent likelihood that we slip a little below that this first year as we change regimes here. There's also a good chance that it improves even and goes maybe 10, 11, 12 games. That could absolutely happen. But let's say it does go six, you know, six, seven wins next year, but the defense is half competent and it looks like with some tweaks on offense or maybe another OC again or whatever it is that you're going to be able to build. We, we need to give this dude three years. Like yeah. we could not have a knee jerk reaction next year. Um, short of if he urban Myers it or something along those lines, which right. I think is almost impossible. That would have to be the one thing to where, yeah, urban Meyer, Jim Mora, these one timer coaches that say something that just it, it completely goes against what you know that a head coach should be. Yeah. And yeah, if, if he gives you a clue like that, then you know it's time to move on. But in terms of record, you're absolutely right. Yeah. There's also other clues too that you get sometimes where you're like, Ugh. like, remember Sirianni's uh, opening press conference? <laughs> I heard somebody talk about that today. Yeah. And uh, oh, yeah, it was on Brock and Salk. And, and Brock was rolling, like going back over some of the Sirianni quotes or even Jonathan Gannon. Um, what was his thing earlier this year? I can't remember what he said to one of the receivers, but it was corny as hell. Yeah. And you're like, this can't work. And then, you know, as you go down the line, the both those, I mean, I'd say Gannon had success this year considering the situation that he was in. And obviously Sirianni's gone to a Super Bowl and then let a, one of the worst flops I've ever seen going down the stretch of a season last year with the Eagles. But even if we have some cringy stuff come out early, stuff like that, have some patience. Based on the vibes that I, I do get for McDonald, I, I don't necessarily think that we'll get that. But yeah, nerves have a... a Thing of weighing on folks and uh, we'll we'll have to see from that opening press conference that I'm, I'm sure we'll be covering once that happens tim cox saying love the hire we would have easily been 11 and 6 if our defense could have held their own and and it's easily. a good thought but it's also it's thoughts like that too that i think lead us to have high expectations going into next year when we're also saying patience at the same time right well, that's why I wanted to talk about that and highlight the comment there, because I think most people, especially the folks that were definitely ready to move on from Pete, they're like, look, about anybody's going to make us better than this, you know, 10 win season, win after year, you know, year after year after year. And that's not necessarily the case. And in fact, it's probably not going to be likely the first year with the whoever you hire. Maybe it will be. It, it's totally possible. I'm just saying we don't have that same continuity going forward. Certain things we can hang our hats on and know that we're going to have success. It's a whole new thing. It's uncharted territory, man. And you can either be skeptical and afraid of it, or you can be fired up and excited, man. And that's what I choose to be with this. Like this is, it's an adventure. Here we go. I'm ready for it. I'm ready for the adventure. I'm ready to, to hear the introductory press conference, which sounds like it's something that we should get coming up here on Thursday. And so after that happens, Adam, I know we'll be watching and uh, yeah, maybe we'll be right back here tomorrow night, breaking down that press conference. Uh, if we're not, we're probably doing it wrong. And I think with that, there's only one thing left to say. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Sick of being upsold at gyms? 
My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.